Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris, conversing about my cage wage whirlwind ways and my perspective of the film biz during those days. A fun, fluff-filled funk with guests relating to all things film biz. Today on the show, we have Paul Antonelli, four-time Emmy Award-winning composer, music supervisor, and former keyboardist for the 1980s pop group Animotion. Paul has worked for 30 years for soap operas such as The Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, and many more. Paul and I could talk for days, so I'll try to keep it down to the ground for about an hour. Today we have on the show, we have Paul Antonelli, musical supervisor for multiple soaps, where I'm going to say about 30 years and counting. And uh, he's um, our guest today from his Santa Monica home, and we are up here in Toronto. And uh, I'm going to start off, I just want to read off something. So Paul Antonelli is a member of ATAS, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, NARAS, National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, DGA, Directors Guild of America, GMS, Guild of Music Supervisors, ASCAP, American Society of Composers and Publishers, and the AFM, American Federation of Musicians. Yes. Yes. I can't. I mean, I read it and I reread it and I'm like, Paul, that's a lot of paperwork to go through. That's from my high school yearbook. <laughs> I was very busy. You did great in high school. Paul, Thanks. I didn't realize. So you're from Brighton, Massachusetts. Is that correct? That, yeah, that's where I was born. Yes. And uh, I was raised in Avon, this little four square mile, like leave it a beaver town. Oh. Uh, just outside of Boston. Great place to grow up. We never moved. I mean, we were there six kids, six wow. brothers and sisters. All. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great, great childhood. Wow. That's six kids, a typical Catholic Bostonian family. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, you know, middle class. Dad was, um, he was head of the State Department of Education in Massachusetts. So it was always, you know, education was always very important to him. And, uh, and of course, I'm the only one in my family who is not multiple degreed because I just kind of took a whole different route in my life. And, uh, and I just, I just took courses that I thought could help me out, but I didn't care about getting a degree, much to the chagrin of poor dad. Uh, yeah, but you have all these other, I just read off all these, um, all these clubs that you're in, the, the big hotshot it musical clubs. Out. Those are like degrees, because really you work it, it. They're honorary degrees in your business. It it's, worked out. It did it work did. out. It did. I mean, it's, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And so you left and you went to, San, you went to university in San Diego? Yes. Yes, that's what brought me out um, Boston. I'd, I'd never been on a plane before. It was my first flight back right after Elvis died in uh, 1977. Wow. And I, uh, yeah, I just jumped, uh, jumped on the plane, came out to San Diego, didn't know a soul, and it all kind of started there. Wow. Like, what do you do? You, you flew out. I mean, this is the 1970s. You, you get off a plane. Did you go to a hostel? Did you have uh, friends? Did you stay in a little motel? Uh, how does it work? No, something. No, no, no. A guy from one of the uh, fraternities came and picked me up at the airport mm -hmm. and uh, brought me over to the university. And it, it's very small, but it looks like it's great. It's way up in the hill in San Diego, and it looks like a mini Vatican, you know, white with the blue domes mm -hmm. and uh, or like you could be in Greece. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was a very Greek looking and um, and uh, it was great. It was kind of like an extension of my high school. It was small, private and. Um, and that got me out of town. And it wasn't because it wasn't because I didn't love my family. We're incredibly close. Yes. It's just that I wanted to see what was outside of my like 10 mile radius that I grew up in all my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that was my that was the beginning. And you didn't go to New York. I mean, I would think because no. you're outside of Boston, you would think New York is an easy train ride, a four hour ride and you're there. I think it was too close. Oh. I think I really just wanted to see, I, I just wanted to just go extreme. Wow. You know, I and did. go as far away as I could. And I, yeah, yeah. And I was just there for a semester and came back to Boston and with the intent of, of figuring out what I wanted to do next. And something just said, you got to go to LA. I didn't know LA. I didn't know anybody. It was like um, my roommate from USD's mom took me in 
And she like co-signed for an apartment for oh. me because I was 18. Nobody wanted to touch me. She found me a job. I would have touched and you. It was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, but Marco, that was way before. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get brave. I didn't get brave until I was 37. Oh my God. Okay. That's, yeah, that's when I went through my change. Wow. Wow. Well, you did yeah. go to the sex change at that age. <laughs> exactly. Well. It was. I, I just felt braver. Yeah. That's a stare. So then when you were in LA and you ended up working at the Rainbow Room, you know, of all places, yes. and I'd been there before, and the first time I'd ever walked in, <gasps> it was with a friend of mine, and we sat at the bar, and sitting right next to me to my left was Neil Young. And this was in yes. the mid-80s, yes. you know, with his big hat. And I was like, yeah. there's Neil, and you could smoke inside at the time. And there he was smoking and having his drinks, and I'm sitting there, and we had struck up a conversation. I'm thinking, I'm talking to Neil Young, and I just walked yes. in because I was with another friend. I was working across the street at Mirabelle Restaurant, so it was an easy walk across of the course. street. But so you yep. work there, and what, were you a bartender? So, well, no, what, 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 what happened, no, what happened was, um, I had a, my very first roommate uh, in Hollywood, Jenny Farrington. Uh, she was the head DJ at the Rainbow, and she was going to be leaving. And so the guys, all the owners, um, you know, they wanted what they said. They wanted a beautiful, creamy female, yeah. you know, um, DJ. And so finally, she was pulling her hair out, and she said, "Listen, guys, I can't find somebody who you know is as good as my roommate." And I think the reason they hired me was because I was Italian. I think that was the only reason. Uh -huh. So they hired, I wasn't even legal age. I was 20, it was 1979. So it was like, and we were the only rock and roll club in town. Everybody else was on the disco craze. Yeah. So we were told, I mean, we had a couple of exceptions. They were saying no disco, but a couple, like we could play like, uh, you know, um, Hot Stuff, Donna Summer, yeah. you know, and, and, and some of the people like uh, Blondie, Rapture, you know, when they were kind of riding a little bit of that, yeah. you know, of that disco wave, you know, the kinks. Yeah. They were all coming out with their shit. Yeah. And um, and so I went there. I was 20 years old and we had the tiniest little DJ booth. I mean, you would it was a little you, you'd be there sitting on your heels like this on the record players and the record players would be right there. And it was like, you know, when Led Zeppelin would come to town, they'd come upstairs. Mm -hmm. It was the who everybody. I mean, it was all those great old rockers. And since we were the only rock place in town, it was it was it was it was a cool dream, and it was while I was DJing over there that I got my first gig at ABC, and that's when I got into the studio system. It was I'll never forget my little ID, October 29th, nineteen seventy nine, wow. and uh, and then I ended up leaving the Rainbow and starting my thing at ABC. What at yeah. twenty years old, you're at ABC Television. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was, well, well, here's what the thing is. I got in there because a friend of mine, you couldn't just walk into the studio and, you know, do an application. Mm -hmm. You kind of had to be invited in. So I had a friend who worked there that got me in. I go in, I put in my application, and I'm seeing these people come in that are just looking like pros. And, and I'm like, and I'm looking like, seriously or honestly, and I thought, I don't have a chance in hell. Well, they call me up about two weeks later, and it's this entry-level position, and they said, um, we'd like you to head up the printing department. And I was like, what, what, wow, head up the printing department? What? Well, I get over there, there's one big Xerox machine. So I was the, I was the head Xerox operator. I was the only Xerox operator. So, so I was doing like all the Xeroxing of scripts, like I did, you know, the general hospital scripts, and GH was, Huge. It was Huge. the Luke and Laura thing at the time. It was a big phenomenon. And Rona Barrett. I don't know if you oh remember her. Oh, my God, but Rona Barrett. So, yeah. so I would do Rona's script, but I also did the job listings. So I was the first one to see a job listing when it came down from, um, uh, from uh, personnel. And when I did some research before that and found out that ABC had an amazing educational assistance program. Mm -hmm. So what you would do is you would go, you would take a course, you would pay for it. It had to have something to do with the industry. So once you showed them that you passed, they would reimburse you 100%. And then after that, you could take any courses they paid you, they paid 100% upfront. So I started going to UCLA. They paid a fortune. They spent a fortune on me in recording engineering classes, publishing classes, music business classes. I got all of this education on ABC's tab. So oh by the God. time, 
by the time one of the job listings came down and we had a very small music department and somebody was leaving, I, before I made one copy, I went running down the hall, I interviewed, they hired me, and I came back and I made my last copies and that's what started the music situation over there. Oh my God. So, yeah. So how did you, I mean, were you, did you always play keyboards? Did you play piano or did you learn that at UCLA or was that a part-time thing that you were doing? No, what happened was, this goes back to when I was a kid. It was crazy. One day my parents decided they were gonna bring, they brought me to this organ recital. And we have six kids, but they throw me in the car, we go over, we go to this organ recital. After it, you know, they're like, if we got one of those, would you play it? And I'm like, yes. And so that started me on the keyboards. And then a few years later, you know, they, the church organist retired or died. And I'm in high school. I mean, I'm not even in high school yet. And I'm playing the organ, you know, at all the weddings and funerals and masses. And I'm up, up in the organ loft. Now, you know, no one had bands back in those days. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got into L.A., and that's when the whole band stuff, I was like, I want to be in a band. I want to do this. And um, when I was over in the music department, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. I hope that doesn't. That's okay. I'm following. It was like, it was back in the, um, um, let me just give you a little, a little bit of the history of how it happened. Okay. When I got into the music department, it was as a record librarian. There were no, this was in like in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. There were no CDs. It was all records. So my boss she was really into the stock market. She really wasn't into being a boss. And that was when everyone's smoking in the offices. Yeah. So she would just go into her office. She goes, listen, this is what you do. The producer comes in, they check out a record. You sign it out, they go. I like it easy, no complications, okay? And I'm like, okay. So she'd go into her office, she'd shut the door, smoking like a chimney, and she'd be just watching the stocks all day. Well, while she had the door shut, the producers were coming in. And of course they say, well, I've got a mini doc on this subject. I'm doing this. Do you have any ideas? Do you have this? And it just got me going. So all of a sudden they're coming down and I'm picking out the music for all of these shows at ABC. Then they start giving me screen credit as a music coordinator. Oh my God. So when Maria comes out and she decides she wants to be the uh, boss again, she sees it's gotten really big and she tried to put on the brakes, but it got too big. So all the producers got together and they signed a petition to make me the official music coordinator of ABC. And you were a kid. I was a kid. And you were what, the Academy Awards and the, and the American Music Awards and Good Morning America and Eye on LA and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Eye on Hollywood and, and General Hospital was one of the shows. Oh so God. Gloria Monty was the, was the queen diva at the time. Um, she was the executive producer who made Luke and Laura. I mean, she was brought into ABC by Fred Silverman to, to let, a, let General Hospital go off the air with dignity. She turned it on its head and made it, you know, what it was. I mean, to the point where General Hospital was making one quarter of ABC's annual gross. A quarter. Well, it was the biggest thing like in the 80s. It was I was on General Hospital for a few episodes as well as, a, as an actor dancer. I, I played a Greek on, on the when show. Was that this? was, I got my after card from General Hospital. It was, and then, yes, in like 85 or something. That was, that, I was there in 85. And I was we there. I was on, I was on camera. I was, I played the Greek island dancer in one of those episodes where they went to Greece. And I had a couple of lines and I, I danced Greek and I spoke a couple of bullshit Greek words and I got my after card. <laughs> well, you were there. And I'm only just now I'm realizing it 30 some odd years later. Is that uh, insane? Yes. I went over there in like 84. Oh my That's God. That's wild. That's wild. So go on, c continue with the story. This is fascinating. So out of the blue, you become this guy with a credit. So, so it was like, it was great. Yeah. So they're giving me the screen credits and then it got too big and that was wonderful. And thanks to the producers, you know, they made me the official music coordinator. So at one point, um, Jill and Dominic, uh, Jill Phelps, Dominic Messenger, they were the music directors, music supervisors for hospital. Um, and they were going to jump onto a brand new soap called Santa Barbara mm. that NBC just developed. So Jill came down and she says, Gloria knows that you know the sound of the show because you get us the music. She wants you to come up and interview with her. So I'm like going, oh my God. And at the time I'm with, um, oh, I skipped a, a little thing over here because at the time I'm with Animotion, okay? That's not a I'm, little I'm, thing. Oh, Animotion. But, 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 but at the time, yeah. all right. So let me, all right, let me jump back. Okay. 
So I'm going to jump back. And, and when I was doing the ABC thing, um, you know, people were coming up and they were looking for keyboardists for various bands. And I was so busy. I would just say my stock answer was like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I don't have time to rehearse. Well, it's so funny when stuff happens in your life, like that seems really bad at the time. Mm -hmm. And you find out there's a reason for it. It was like, uh, again, my boss was making my life miserable. And I'm like going, you know what? I'm not putting in any more overtime. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, what, what the hell is this about? A friend of mine, Carolyn Tapp, brings me this album uh, from a band called Red Zone. And she said they need a keyboard player. And I was just about to give my stock answer. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this nonsense. I'm going to go and audition. So I auditioned and I got the gig. So we're, as Red Zone, we're going out and, you know, gigging around town. And not long after I was there... Astrid and uh, and Larry Ross, uh, the manager, called me up and they said there's just been this big upheaval of personnel and they fired the leader of the band, Jason, and his um, bass playing girlfriend, Rita, but they want you to stay. Are you interested? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. So we go to the Cat and Fiddle when it was still up the on Laurel Cat Canyon. Cat and Fiddle. It was on Laurel. It was up there because it was on Sunset. Oh no, it was Laurel Canyon before that. Oh. Uh, where where Coyote is right now. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, it, or it's called Pache, I think now. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Little, halfway up. Yep, right, halfway yeah. up. And so um, we go over there, and they're we're coming up with a new band name. And so it's between two two names. Astrid came up with Animotion, you know, from Anima, Spirit, Motion, putting them together. And then Frenchie, our drummer, came up with Runaway Bride. Now, this is way before the Julia Roberts stuff or yeah. anything. You know what I mean? It's, and I loved Runaway Bride, so we took the vote. And, and I was the only one that voted for Runaway Bride, even though French came up with it, because I liked the name. I said, Animotion, it sounds like a black funk band. I don't know. It seems like it's, you know, like the wrong, well, anyway, thank God they, you know, they won out. Yeah. So it was Animotion. So we're going, and, um, and, uh, and so we are doing our thing. We're gigging around LA, and then cut to um, Gloria. Gloria Monty brings me up to do the interview. So she's sitting there and she's like, and I'm like, I'm like, Gloria Monty, I'm, I'm going to see her. How should I dress? And then I thought, well, if she can't handle me the way that I am, I don't want to be up there. I'm like, again, a young punk. Yeah. It's like, so I wear these skin tight fire engine red uh, jeans mm. and I've got this black button down shirt with the sleeves ripped off. And I've got these little crazy Kaja Goo Goo braids huh. on one side of my head. And I go up and she's, and she is just so great. She is just this little five foot nothing spitfire powder keg. And she's like, so dear, after the, doing the whole interview. Um, like a bet so, She was like, would you, you know, so what do you think about working with me, dear? And I said, because I thought it was the thing to say, I said, well, Gloria, I'd like to think about it. And she looks at me, you know, like a dog when they don't understand you and they kind of yeah, cock yeah, their head. Yeah. And she's like, like, you know, like no one's ever said this to her. And she, again, she like, okay, but dear, you would like to work with me. And I said, well, if it works out, I think that would be great. And she's like, wonderful, dear, wonderful. Well, I'm at the Sunset Gawa Studios on the interview and I'm going over to Television Center, which is only about 15 minutes, crosstown traffic. Mm -hmm. In that 15 minutes, she had managed to get a bottle of champagne sent over to my office. Um, I walk in, my bosses are there. They're like, well, and I'm like, well, what? And they said, you've got a phone call. Gloria's lawyer was on the line waiting to do the deal with me. Gloria called up, kind of saved me from myself. She quit for me. She called my bosses, sent over a bottle of champagne, quit for me, and had the lawyer on the line to do the deal. Um. And it was like, she all of that in 15 minutes. To this day, I have no idea how that how, how she pulled that off. And that's what started me. She saved me from myself. I wanted to think about it. Uh, what was I thinking? You, know? you weren't because you were young. She was thinking yeah. for you. And so that's what happened was I ended up signing a three-year deal thinking uh, because it was um, I, I signed on with my music partner, Steve Reinhardt, and we would basically week on, week off. We could do it schedule it however we wanted one day four days two days three days so i thought it was going to give me more time to spend with the band mm -hmm. and um but never gave any thought that the record we were doing might produce a hit yeah. so all of a sudden when obsession came Huge. and hit it was like i remember sneaking out of general hospital to shoot the video with those guys <laughs> and we and we ended up shooting it up at bugsy siegel's old estate by lake hollywood oh the estate God. that Madonna ended up buying years later 
Remember when she, it was a beautiful estate and she ended up painting it like this really kind of gross ketchup and mustard color. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are you thinking? It was a beautiful building. Anyway, it was, they had just finished shooting Beverly Hills Cop 1 and they fixed all the repairs from all the shootouts they had. Yeah. So we were the first ones to shoot there as Animotion uh, when we did Obsession after Beverly Hills Cop 1. I remember and, that video and I remember the song. Dun, 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 <laughs> and that's the best part of the song is you. Isn't it crazy that it's like over 30 years? 30 years. It's like, I, I think about that. I think about like if people were playing music from 30 years ago from when I was born, that would be 1929. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? It's like, like, like the other, like they played, I think it was, um, Isla Bonita, Madonna, yes. played that the other day. And they said, I just can't believe that this song is 30 years old. I mean, stuff that's so relevant now, yes. still, you know what I mean? It's really wacky. It um, is wacky. How, I, I can't get over it. I, I mean, I just want to go back to Obsession for a second. I remember seeing the video and over and over and over again. But recently I went to see it again because I knew we were going to do this. And I, there you are with your skinny little ass in that whacked out fucking costume and your eyebrows growing up, giving us that little smirky <laughs> eyebrow thing. Marco, toothpick, I a skinny like... toothpick, like an undernourished see... Ethiopian kid. Like... <laughs> Did you see my red leather crotch? I, it's great. I, I had to pause. She made all of my she made all of my leather clothes and uh, and the red leather the tight red leather pants were so great. But um, the keyboards uh, made that song, and I never <laughs> thought about you in this skinny. You must have been like ninety eight fucking pounds with black hair <laughs> and that makeup with that Egyptian. It's like you know, flat, you know, with the, with the with the eyebrow going up, and you were just so vogue. <laughs> and Marco, it was really crazy because they, we had a French AD yeah. and he just said, he put me up against the shrubbery by the pool and he goes, okay, now raise your eyebrow, lower your eyebrow, raise your eyebrow. No, and I'm thinking, what the fuck is he going to do with this? Marco, I had no idea. They never discussed with us what the concept was. We just got, we, uh, Anu Sugano and Joy Durando who did our makeup and our costuming, we were really lucky because they had, they had a um, a contact with the Hollywood uh, costume archives, oh. so that headdress that that uh, that Astrid is wearing when she's Cleopatra mm -hmm. was Elizabeth Taylor's in Cleopatra in no. the movie. When 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 Bill is is in that um, uh, the Gladiator, mm -hmm. that was from Charlton Heston's in Ben Hur. Oh in my, my God. thing, when I am the Sheik, Rudolph Valentino. No, it was you like are Rudolph. Got, uh, no, no, it was like it. They they got some amazing stuff from the Hollywood archives, and oh, check this out, Marco. Check this. So we're nominated for for costuming, uh, for that video. Who do we fucking lose to? Who do we fucking lose to? Madonna, <laughs> Material Girl. I'm like, I'm like, you bitch. I said, all right. Number one, that was a one trick pony, Marco, because she did like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Great, Marilyn Monroe. But 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 that was before I think you would send a big paragraph describing of like what you used for your video. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I I don't think the people understood that these guys got original fucking, you know, costumes. The classic you from know, the 1930s and 40s, so the real like, deal. You know, and our guy who was directing that video, he had just come off of doing Girls Just Want to Have Fun for Cindy Lapa. Oh yeah, my God. It was like we had, we had great people, you know, involved in that. In that little yeah. video, in that, that small little pop band, who would have thought? Yeah. Yeah, and that was, you know, that was obviously before, um, that was before the song hit. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, though, it was, you know, John Ryan, our producer, you know, when that song came up, it was Holly, it was written by Holly Knight and Michael DeBar. Okay. And it was done originally, they had done it uh, for a movie called A Night in Heaven. That was where, it was a Leslie and Warren movie where oh, she played God. a teacher and one of her students, Christopher Atkins, oh. I guess was a stripper. Of course so he was. What else would he be doing? Right? <laughs> a night in heaven. Well, they played their version of Obsession. And I got to tell you, I am so not a visionary. John, our producer, brings it in. We're listening. And I'm thinking like, this just doesn't sound like anything to me. And I was like, again, it was with Runaway Bride versus, you know, Animotion. And I'm saying, it's crazy. It's crazy how things work out. It's like, I'm just glad people didn't listen to me. Ah. So... So it's like I ended up, um, because of the contract with Hospital, uh, I ended up leaving the band just as they were going on their world tour. 
So I did the LA part and the first album and then, you know, they went out and I remember going like, oh my God, what have I done? But you know what? It's, I've been still, I've been doing this for over 30 years. Yeah. So you actually did the right thing because all those band members went on to other bands and, you know, did whatever they did because these were 1980s pop bands that came and went. They were, most of them were fly-by-night bands back then. Let me let me go back to a singer-songwriter who's a good friend of yours and that you posted on your Facebook or on her Facebook, it was tagged, I'm not sure what, uh, last year uh, at President Obama's, I believe, exit yes. or Christmas party. Were you not yes. with Ms. Diane Warren? Yes, absolutely. Diane is just fabulous. She is just fabulous. She she just shocked the shit out of me one day. Mm -hmm. And it was like it was it, we were supposed to go. Um, she was being honored. And um, it was at, at this this wonderful event. But it was the last week before our break. Um, you know, our Christmas break over mm -hmm. at y and Days, and it's my busiest week, and I'm like, die, I, I, I swear to God, I'm gonna end up having to cancel 99 to one, and, and I did on that day. And I was like, I promise I'll make this up to you, we'll have a blast when I get back into town, and she goes, open up your email. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, and I go over, and I see this thing, the President and Mrs. Obama would request the honor of your presence, celebrating eight years of the Obama administration at the White House. <laughs> So I go, I call up, I, I, I are you fucking with me? Are you fucking with me? And she goes, she goes, no, she goes, Michelle loves me, you know, because she wrote that song for Michelle's organization. Yes, to my girls. Yes, yes, and, I uh, remember that and song. She, and she talked to Michelle. And the Lady Gaga song. Yes, yes. Well, she got the Emmy for that, for, oh, for um, did, uh, yes. Till This Happens to You. Yes, and, the um, abuse. The... And, and so she talked to Michelle into doing Carpool Karaoke with James Corden. You're kidding. And that so, was a great episode. And and they ended that with her song. You know, here's here's to my girls. So um so she goes, Michelle loves me, but I'm like, you don't have to try to talk me into it. Yeah, I'm a go. But I knew I just it was really hard for me to it was really hard for me to actually wrap my head around the fact that it was gonna happen because at that time she was going into the studio, she was working with Cher, mm. doing this wonderful song for this documentary, uh, Cries from Syria. Mm -hmm. And um, now you mock my words, I'll bet you anything that's gonna be up for an Academy Award this year because it's, it's a great tune, great documentary, and um, and this might actually be her winning, you know, yeah, if she gets this one. But anyway, she's in the studio at that time recording it with Cher and I'm thinking, she is going to find out about this party and she's going to be like, bitch, you bring me or I'm not recording your song. You know, so I was like, I was I was I, I was afraid to get too excited. But then all of a sudden, you know, dies, you know, uh, travel agent gets in touch and working out details. And then all of a sudden the White House gets in touch to do a security check. And I'm thinking, wow this is really going to happen, isn't it? And so they go, they do the security, they send me a thing. Oh, we're, we're so honored that you're going to be able to make it out here. And I'm like, and it was a dream. It was just Mako from top to bottom. It was just a dream. Um, I can't, I, 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 I can't even tell you. It was, it was amazing. We had a blast hmm. and we didn't, we didn't leave there until, Close to four in the morning. Wow! And um, it was. It, they served us breakfast. Oh my there. god! It was just like, oh yeah, we could go into it. I mean, if you want to go into detail, I could go into detail. Okay. It was. You just. You <laughs> let me know how far you want to go because that was. It was just a dream. Was and it a one night thing, Paul? Was it? Yeah. Was it? It was one evening into the morning, basically. So it, it was yes. a send off to the to the Obama years. Is that correct? Yes, yes, it was a party, and and an added note: um, the, the the Obamas paid for that out of their personal funds. That no. did not come out. of God bless them. Absolutely, they were they were the best we've ever had, next to Kennedy. You know what? It was a class act, top top to bottom. And and funny you should say that, Marco, because it really did. When you went in there, all of a sudden, I felt like I understood this whole Camelot thing. Mm -hmm. And it was when I don't know if you saw the picture. But Diane and I, it was underneath the portrait of Jackie Kennedy. And when we walked into that room, because when you're going, and they left all the rooms open to us, except for, you know, the sleeping quarters. Yeah. So you're exploring all over, and you're seeing all the portraits, all the paintings of past uh, presidents, of, of, you know, of the first ladies. And we walked into the one room, and it was like, and it was, it was really funny because, because everybody... <laughs> 
Everybody had to check their phones in, uh -huh. uh, their cell phones. And Diane told me, she goes, keep your phone. And I'm like, Diane, what are you talking about? She goes, and she was she was at a state dinner a couple of months before and she had kept her phone and she ended up taking this really great video with Michelle. And so I'm like, well, listen, if we get busted and we're in the White House hooskow, you better get your friend Michelle to bail us out of here. <laughs> so it was it. Marco, it was the only time we took an illegal picture. It was the only time when we went in and we were under. Um, it was so funny because Stephen, Steve Colbert was our unwitting, our unwitting uh, shield from the Secret Service, so no one saw us take that picture. Oh, my God. Do you and not love him? God bless him. Now I love him even more. So then we, at that point, we behaved. We didn't take them out at, at all after yeah. that because there wasn't one to be found. Everybody else was really good, and we didn't want to be those people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was so hard when you're going up. I walk up the stairs. And I'm thinking like, I didn't know what to think. And all of a sudden as people heads, people's heads start coming into view, I see Obama. The first one I see, and I don't know, I'm picturing like Secret Service surrounding him like Charlie's Angels yeah. and, <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that there was gonna be this two mile long you know, reception line. And the dress was casual chic. And he just had this, this blue button down shirt, three buttons unbuttoned, and he's talking to one guy one guy, people, they're just a smattering of people all over. And I just went into autopilot and I just headed right over to him and everything happened like so organically. As soon as I got over to him, they were, he was finishing up the conversation with that guy. The guy leaves, Obama turns, faces me. I just take his hand in both of mine. I said, it is such an honor to be here and so wonderful to meet you. And he looks at me like I'm the only person in the room. And he goes, he goes, well, what is your name? And as soon as I remembered, I told him and I said, <laughs> and he's like, well, Paul, he goes, this is going to be one for the books. And he goes, and if you're a diehard, like it looks like you are, uh, we're going to be rolling out breakfast in the wee hours and I hope you're going to join us. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. And so I didn't want to be a president hog and the timing was perfect. All of a sudden I hear Diane, Diane, she's like five feet away with Michelle. She goes, come here. I want you to meet a friend. <laughs> a friend. <laughs> <laughs> just, I want you to meet my friend Paul. Michelle swoops in, gives me this giant hug, kisses me on the cheek. I give her a kiss on the cheek. I'm like, I feel like I am floating in this crazy, crazy ass dream. And so it was like, it was crazy. It was as if it was scripted. Um, this woman comes up and also says, you know, Michelle, please tell me you're gonna run for office. And she looks at Diane as if they had this planned and she goes, if I was in office, I wouldn't be able to sing like this. And I guess they did a semi-unclean version of the song. Oh. And they both launched, I don't remember exactly, but it was something like, jump, jump, jump to it, da, 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 won't take no shit, won't take no shit. Ba, 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 ba. I am <sighs> rolling. And the two of them are just like singing. I'm like, is this really happening? So then we go over and it's like, let's get a drink. And that's when I almost tripped over poor Meryl Streep. And then <laughs> at that point, at that point, it was just like, it was just a crazy dream from start to finish. It was like, uh, you that just kept an organic into... dream or an organic dream that I mean, yeah. I would, what an honor to be there. It was, it was incredible. With all those people and with Diane and seeing Meryl's, I mean, and what was great, Marco, was that is Diana is, is such a magnet. You know what I mean? So yeah. everybody's coming up to her. So she's like, <laughs> she's like, you know, um, she goes, oh, wait, Paul, I want you to meet my friend Brad. And I look at, oh, Bradley Cooper, of okay. course. You know, <laughs> come over and, you know, Patty Siafla's, you know, coming. Oh, my God, Diane. I'm thinking, well, where there's Patty, Bruce Springsteen. As I look over, there's Bruce. Mm -hmm. And it's like one thing after and Tom Hanks and I mean, I, I, you, I, I, I could go on for hours. Marco. Well, Ms. Was... Warren is the, is America's songbook sweetheart. I mean, her, Absolutely. For, for, Absolutely. for pop music and Carol Bayer Sayer for, for traditional songs more yeah. than pop. Yeah. I mean, you have two of the best. I'm, so Diane Warren, Absolutely. everybody knows who she is. Anybody over 50 knows exactly who this woman is. And there well, you were was... as her guest. Yes, I was telling Diane that like, you know, back in my early GH, not even my early on my second term with GH, any of the shows that I worked on, whenever a major artist would come out, mm -hmm. I would always look at the CD for the Warren song because I knew that that was going to be my money shot for any of the uh, montages we did. Mm -hmm. You know, any of the lovemaking montages or, or the Act 6 montages, you know, when you needed to hit home, yeah. boom, <laughs> you know.
That's funny. I remember meeting her uh, years ago at uh, Mickey Goldson's uh, recording studio on um, Selma Avenue. When yes, he, he was recording yes. with, with uh, forgot the, the young uh, Polynesian French guy who was our Guy. Guy that was Guy Roche. That's it, Guy Roche. Guy Roche. Right, and she yep. was recording down there her song, in the 80s. And Diane always thanked. She always thanked uh, Mickey and Bo for mm -hmm. bringing her in, you know, and, um, and, and, and she's incredibly thankful, very humble. And uh, and it's it, she's like a breath of fresh air, just a she breath is. of fresh air. I loved her no, documentary you know, on, on was... sixty minutes or on CBS Morning. She done last year. She did a, a, a they did a, a, a twenty minute segment on her um, about yeah, her superstition and about her office, which is all a complete mess and blah Ooh, blah. It's blah. amazing. It's amazing. And she just um she just bought a new building, and and her big challenge was how was she going to take that office, you know, in all of its, you know, like um, in all of its fabulous chaos mm -hmm. and move that, you know what I mean? She just needed somebody to move it as is to the new uh, location. And I'm dying to see the new office to see how that happened. And I thought maybe a set designer, yeah. you know, should come over, just take copious pictures and then co go and redesign it because you know, when it got super trashed, like after the earthquake, mm -hmm. she left it just as is. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. And it, yeah, and it's, well, you know what? It's been working for us. So I, you know, just absolutely keep doing it. Yeah. You know, Mary Beth, just bringing up Mary Beth. That's where I met her at General Hospital. Oh. She was, she was brought in to do all the writing for Ricky Martin when we had Ricky Martin on the show. You're kidding. No, 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 no. So her best friend, Carol was one of our, our directors over there at the I time. I remember, I, and, I went to the set. And, and so we had, um, he's this, he's a big French Canadian artist. Um, hmm. and, um, and, and he was writing with Mary Beth. And oh, Carol had- Danielle Lenoir. Danielle Lavoie, thank La, you, Lenoir, Danielle yes, Lavoie. Yes, Lavoie yes, with a V. Is it with a V or yeah. with an N? With a V. With a V. Yeah, Daniel Lenoir is a big producer. Right, right, right. He's a, right, he's, right. He's a yes, music yes. producer. So uh, Danielle Lavoie was fabulous. So Mary, so uh, Carol comes in and says, uh, my best friend is a great songwriter, brings Mary Beth. That's how I met Mary Beth. That was in the, like, like 1990. That was early. And then when they brought Ricky Martin in, they wrote him in all of a sudden, you know, this guy can sing yeah. and uh, blah, blah, blah. And she was writing all of his songs. Wow. I yeah. didn't even know that she was writing his song. Is that where she, she oh. was nominated for the Grammys? Did she, was it one of his Ooh. songs that she was nominated? Was it Boys no. to Men or? No, no, no. It was while she was doing that stint and yeah. while she was doing all the songwriting for GH and Ricky yeah. that she wrote, I Can Love You Like That. Oh, and yeah. I, and then All for One did it. But, like but then John, yeah, but then John Michael Montgomery did it. And so she had two number ones, one on the country charts, one on the pop charts. And I think that year she had three or four Grammy nominations. It was, I went to the Grammys with her that year. That was when um, she, you yeah, know what? It was uh, Kiss from a Rose. Um, Seal. Seal ended up winning that year. Mm -hmm. But it was like, she, she, was, she was on fire. She was on fire. Wow. It was, that, that was a great, that was a fun Grammy award. Anyway, I'm sorry. I keep on like rallying Oh, I on. love it. No, no. You and I can go on for stories and stories and stories. Yes. I could tell you about the Presley Coppola wedding that I was in and blah, blah. And that'll be another time. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. I was there at the Knicks wedding. I was one of the few Holy 250 guests. Oh, my shit. God. He flew in opera singers. We had Jim Carrey there. We had, I sat with Tom Waits and Crispin Glover oh. and John Woo. Like me with, and I'm thinking, why am I at this table? The whole oh, time. And then I was having a conversation uh, with Beck, and I didn't know who Beck was, the musician. <laughs> I thought he was Jeff Beck's son <laughs> you know, oh. from back in the 70s. I was such a fucking numbnut. And I just, I didn't know what Beck, Beck. And I was talking, and we're having like shrimp in the thing. I'm like, what's your name? He says Beck. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe he's like Jeff Beck's son. That's why he's probably at Nick Cage's <laughs> wedding. And people are thinking, do you know who you're talking to? I'm like, uh, Jeff oh. Beck's son, some wannabe musician. I don't know. I'm such a clown. That's how you it was know, with that no. Moby Dick guy, that Dick, that, what was his name? Was it Moby Dick? Oh, no, 90s? Moby. Just Moby. Oh, Moby. Yeah, yeah, I called him Moby oh, Dick. Yeah. I never knew who this fucking guy was. And everyone was like, it's Moby. I was like, Moby Dick? Moby Dick's here? 
Mako, he's huge. Bobby. Huge. Yeah. I had no idea. I was just like, well, who is this guy? He's just some white Especially dude. at that time. At Especially that time. Especially at that time. That's when, he looked that's... very unassuming, though. He looked yes. very unassuming. I had no idea. He was just some normal little white kid of, like, nothingness. I didn't think anything <laughs> of this. You know, who's this guy? Yep. Marilyn Manson, though, being with him, the guy was never without makeup. So I, wow. I will say he's good friends with Nick Cage. And so, of wow. course, I had to sit next to him at the AFI Awards, the American Film Institute Awards, <laughs> and which I didn't want to do because the cameras were. So it was Marilyn Manson and what was her name? The Von Tripp girl, the, the one that he was married to, the Von Von, you know, the fetish chick. Oh, was with. oh, oh, uh, 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 Dina Von Teese. That's it. Who ended up being with the DJ Dead Mouse after oh, right. she went with Dead Mouse. Right, after Manson. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so they would, they, he sat next to me. I'm sitting here and they're right, they're pushing me off to the side and the other ones are pushing, you know, making sure that I'm not in the shot and they would interview him. I'm thinking, why am I sitting with Marilyn Manson? This is so bizarre. Like, could you not sit me with somebody normal like Meryl Streep? I had to sit beside this thing with two colored different eyes and the cameras were all over this guy and I had to like keep squeezing. I couldn't eat my meal. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the stories are ridiculous, but, you know, I was just a, you know, cage flunky. I was just a standard with all the perks that any movie star would have. Those are like honestly, crazy perks. Honestly, I you've got the best stories. Best fucking stories. Just to go back to the soaps, Paul, when I read the stuff, so for 30 years, you've done yeah. what I've seen every soap opera on, on different networks. We, almost, they, they, almost. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, from Santa Barbara to Passions to The Young and the Restless to Days it, of Our Lives. Well, I mean, can we go on and on and on? Sunset Beach, All My Children, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun, you know? Some stints, some stints more fun than others, but for the most part, um, a lot of fun. An awful lot of fun. How Great people. How does that work? Paul, you, you, you were the musical supervisor slash composers. No, you know what? It was different. Like I was doing, I was doing most of my writing, the composition in the early days. And then I ended up getting too busy. And cause I'm not a tech guy as uh, you know, as you can see. Yeah. Um, so when, when my, my, when my music partner, RC and I got had a studio together back in uh, our second stint at general hospital back in the nineties, you know, when Mary Beth was there, um, we had a studio, but I could never go into the studio and operate it myself. I always had to have somebody there or I, mm -hmm. or I had to co-write, you know what I mean? Yes. So it was like, you know, and, and it's, and so that really, for me, it really, as much as I loved writing and co-writing with people mm -hmm. i really missed being able to go in by myself because you get self-conscious you know if of you want to work on on an idea for hours and hours and then you've got an engineer like snoozing away going like really are you gonna are you gonna beat this old fucking horse to death you know are we gonna move on so so i ended up just getting to you know really getting more into the music supervision part you know since the i would say since the 90 after we did the prince projects you know yes. when when Asi and I did those, that that was a, that, that was incredible. Rewarding. And that was his you know? heyday. I mean, but, that was big time in the '90s after doing the Prince. Yeah, that Prince's was, stuff. That was when. Yeah, that's when um, Cream was out, mm -hmm. and that's when his uh, the beautiful experience. You know, he did he did like a little short film or a couple little short films mm -hmm. that tied all of his music videos together mm -hmm. for those two albums. And what was crazy, Marco, was that um, I had a friend. Uh, Geraldine Shea, we were old friends from the um, early 80s at ABC. And her brother, Jim Shea, he was he was very famous as a photographer. Like he had done the the like uh, uh, the albums. He had shot albums for like like he did the shot the album for Linda Ronstadt where she's in the roller skates. Oh, my God. I have you know, that album. He did. He did the Eagles. He did. Ugh. He did so many famous, so many famous photo sessions. And um, then he parlayed that Marco into a um, a video production company, which was arguably one of the most successful independently owned video productions. He shot Streisand. He shot The Stones, and and everyone in between. Everyone in between. And they were called Planet Pictures. Well. They just happened to be doing a video for Prince. I forget which one. And Prince asks 
uh, what, uh, Geraldine happened to be in earshot and was just asking, do you know anybody who's a composer? You know, I'm planning on doing this project, you know, um, something new where I'm, I'm shooting all of this dramatic footage that's going to tie in all of the videos that we're doing right now for this, this album. Mm -hmm. And uh, Geraldine pipes up, oh, my friend Paul Antonelli. So, so they call me up and Jer calls me up to find out if I'm interested. And I, number one, I'm just gobsmacked because I'm thinking Prince knows everybody in the freaking world. Yes. Why isn't he going in his own? He's working with some of the most you know, talented musicians, why isn't he throwing it to them saying like, do you want to do this? But people's, that's when I learned that people's working processes are, are, are so varied and different. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how he operated. He just wanted to go outside of his box and see what somebody had to say. Mm -hmm. So I, so I went and I talked to RC, my music partner. I said, does this sound like something you'd want to do with me? over here and he's like fuck yeah <sighs> so so we end up getting the um you know we send some rough cuts of stuff and make make our notes of where we see uh music coming in what we imagine as soundscape and whatnot and um um his director calls up and says well you are spot on he agrees with everything you had to say and um so you know when you when you're going into a new gig mm-hmm the standard, your standard, uh, you know, uh, payment is it's like it's four parts. You know, you get a quarter on on signing. You get a quarter when you go into the studio and you start laying down the first notes. Mm -hmm. You get a quarter upon completion, and then you get a quarter upon acceptance. Well, mm -hmm. we had just done the deal with him. It was probably eleven o'clock, ten or eleven o'clock that night before Friday night. That Saturday morning. Again, he's like Gloria Monty. I don't know how the fuck he did it, but that morning there's a knock on my door and it's Federal Express with a check for the entire amount. That has never happened in all the gigs I have done over these decades. That has never happened before. The entire amount. And so I had never gone into, I told Asi, I had never gone into the beginning of a session feeling so much pressure in my life. You know, and luckily he loved everything we did and it, it just sailed. And then we ended up doing another project for him. So, and the same thing happened, everything, 100%. So he was just a prince boy, uh, literally an absolute prince to work with because, um, uh, again, it's, it's never happened in my, in my career. Uh, amazing. Had something. These are fantastic stories, Paul. So between this and working in the, on, on the soap operas and then doing some film scores and compositions then you're back to working on 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 the soaps and now you're juggling yes. two of them the young and the restless yes. and days of our and lives, days of our lives. we yes. have been running for what 40 years 50 years these actual well soaps? now well well days just had their 50th anniversary oh, last year okay so it is 50 years yeah so um let me see 75 oh oh um 75 i think it was 75 that why Wait a minute. Was it seventy-five? They're not quite fifty yet. Okay. They're not quite fifty yet. We're. I want to say. I want to say we're like forty-six or forty-seven or something like that. Hmm. Uh, but 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 they're they're getting close to fifty as well. Wow. How does it feel doing those things? And you've been doing it all these years. Pretty much, you can do it just showing up. You know what's going on all day long. No, you know what? It's what what gets what's challenging is is when you have the changing of the guard. You've got new people coming in. Mm -hmm. You've got new storylines. You know, you've got new storylines. You've got new characters. So there's something that's always going to keep you on your toes. Always, you know, it's like all of a sudden there'll be oh, you know what? Let's shake up the sound of this particular set. Let's let's go and uh, and do something else with, uh, you know, like like over what was really fun was they had this uh, serial killer story over at Days. And so Ken Corday, who's the owner of the show, co-executive producer and, and um, co-composer, um, he and Brent Nelson, his co-composer, they, they got like this big orchestra and uh, went into the studio and did this whole, you know, symphonic thing for, you know, I walked in and I was like, whoa, this is like, this is like heavy. It, it was it was like a film scoring. It was like being on a film scoring stage, you know. There we are, daytime, but it, they just like stepped it up, you know. They just wow. stepped it up a, well, a couple they, thousand. These are the big soap operas of American television. I want to yeah. go into the Emmy thing, Paul, because you have you just won what was a month ago, two months ago, your third yeah, a Emmy award. Ago. 
You're it was the fourth. Fourth? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I made yes. a mistake. You're a fourth <laughs> Emmy Award and were nominated, to, correct me if I'm wrong, 15 times. Is yes. Is that the truth? Yeah. 15 <laughs> nominations. <laughs> 15 Emmy nominations in your career of writing, supervising, composing, and four wins. It's been a fun ride, Marco. It's been a fun ride. It's been a great ride. I mean, I'm going to ask good. you a stupid question like everybody else would ask you. Where do you put those awards in your home? Are they above well, a fireplace, Mantor? Are they? Well, three on the piano, but one of them is in. They were doing this LGBT, um, this wonderful exhibit over in the Hollywood Museum the, in the old Max Factor building. Oh, my God. So they've got wonderful. one of them over there. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So, so. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't get over it. You're four Emmy winnings. Four of them. That's fantastic. How does it feel? Yes. You just have to sleep with the right people. Yeah. <laughs> You're obviously good below the belt. I'm terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, how did it feel to get your first nomination? That was, what, 20-some-odd years ago to even get a nomination. must have been super exciting. That that was amazing. That was amazing. Uh, but then what happened was, Marco, was nominations were coming in, but I kept showing up and I kept losing. Oh, you were so, like Susan Lucci. So, it, well, it was totally. So what happened was, this is back, I was throwing um, a surprise party for my partner at the time in London. Mm -hmm. And so I found out, oh my God, the Emmys of this day. And then I thought, oh, fuck it. It's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep the party going. It's going to be another day that I'm not winning. And so we're having this big party in London. And all of a sudden I get this call from Mary Beth. No. Because... because Yes, because we both won that year. Oh my God! We both won. Yes, she goes. She goes, honey, you won, and I won, and I'm like, shut the fuck up, really, you know. And so it was. She told it was about five in the morning or five thirty in the morning, London time. So we ended up not going to sleep. We grabbed the channel the next day, went to Paris, had a big celebratory, uh, you know, uh, lunch over there. Grabbed the channel back to London, and and that's how we celebrated. I wasn't even there to get it. <laughs> oh my god! It sounds like it was more fun. And I'm guessing that Mary Beth was at the awards that particular year. She and Bo were. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That sounds so exciting, <laughs> Paul. I mean, a lot of hard work, a lot of creativity, and, and, and things pay off. You know, as long as you're good and true to your work and to the people around you, it really does pay off. And, and you've done great with it. And when you've got great people around you and you're working with great people, Jesus, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And, it, you know, it makes it fun. Yeah. It makes it really, really fun. So, you know, like you said, you just, you just get up there and it's like not work. Believe me, it yeah. can be. Yeah. <laughs> but... You know, you're going in and you're just, you know, having a blast. Wow. So it's, a, I mean, teamwork to me is everything. Exactly. And they're missing out, yeah. you know, because it's, it's, it's a blast. It yeah, really a is a blast. A lot of creative minds, working minds together. And it just, it, things pop up that you never think would pop up. Like, look at you now, four Emmys later, you know, from pop bands to film scores to, from soap operas to other TV shows to, uh, you're nonstop and you're still working nonstop. And when I get to Toronto, I'm going to wash your car. I'm going to scrub your floors. I'm going to do all that stuff for you. And, and you are invited. Did I pump that out? That's perfect. I love that. Paul, My um, this has been a fantastic uh, time. Um, it's time for you to have lunch and time for us to have like a, my fourth meal. And, uh, Fantastic. So it's, I really appreciate your time and I'm going to be signing off with you now. And uh, we will uh, speak soon, honey. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Are you kidding? I love the energy. I love the stories. And I love more than anything, Paul, the truth. And uh, that's what I can there always count on. It's what we're all about, Marco. It it's is. what we're, we're about. We're all about the truth. And your hair color is the truth, but mine is not. But we're still about the truth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll go Clooney one day. You'll go I know. Clooney I'll go day. Clooney or just Clueless. I'm more Clueless than I'm Clooney, but I should have been. Get out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> love you. Love you, too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, honey. <laughs> Bye. That concludes our podcast with Paul Antonelli. I hope you enjoyed our fluff. And until next time, this is Marco Kira signing off.